You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment, and we look at the markets over the last few days and the weeks since we've just spoken. And it's been an interesting time, Wayne. Interesting in a bad way. GDP yeah. numbers came out this week. They were horrible. Yeah, yeah look, I mean, we are now, and I mean, I'm well known, and I confess it myself, I am an optimist now. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. But, but. You just want to give up being optimistic sometimes. And I think we're now at the point where decisive action has got to be taken by the government. And they've got to put politics aside, politics and ideology aside. If you take the amount of money that's been, let's just deal with one instance. Let's just deal with one grouping, and that's SOEs. SOEs in total have sucked 300 billion so far, and they're probably going to suck another 100 to 150 billion. When you say 300 billion, Just, you mean from the state coffers for over what sort of time period are you yes. talking about now? 300 billion over so what 15 time period? Years, 20, 20 years, 15, 20 years. 20 years. Okay, all right. Because, you know, they've, they've bailed out SAA 60 billion. They've bailed out ESKIM. And everyone thinks it's just the current, you know, the three lots of 20 billion and the two lots of 50 billion. They wrote off 80 billions debt to Eskom about five or six years ago. In other words, the government lent Eskom money and Eskom was paying them interest. They converted it to equity. So that was 80 billion. You know, not that we, with, certainly within the last eight years. And then you've got to add in all the, all the, all the payouts to Denel, to the post office, to Petro SA, name it, to Arms Corp. You know, literally, you're talking in these sort of quantums now that the total bill for failed SOEs, for whatever reason, state, you know, state capture, inefficiencies, bad management, or just, or, or just maybe the fact that they are just fundamentally poor companies in poor industries that cannot make a profit even if they were in private hands. You add the whole lot together plus future commitments because, you know, you're not, you don't sort ESKIM out unless you find 150 billion rand somewhere. Right. That the total bill for failed SOEs could, over the next five or six years, approach half a trillion rand. Hmm. Now, when you think of what we could have done with that amount of money, but that's only part of it. I mean, the government's got to control their own expenditures. They have to control... Their, their wage bill. They've got to come with the spectrum sales. They've got to legislate on land reform. We've got to know exactly where, what, what the rules are and what the, 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 the um, criteria is going to be for land reform. They've got to remove uncertainty out of the system because without that, if, if something is not dramatically done, and, and ESKIM is by far the biggest and the most urgent problem, if something's not done, then we will truly, in South Africa, be heading down the tube. And, and we don't, you don't go down the tube in six months, by the way. It's taken us 10 years to get to the state that we're in. But if decisive action isn't taken in the virtually immediate future, you know, in 10 years' time, we will be significantly worse off than what we are now. And the truly terrible thing about this very negative scenario that I'm painting yes. 
It's the, it's the poorest of the poor that suffer the most in that scenario. Of course they do. They always have done. They always will do. There's it doesn't no matter jobs. where you are. It's there, not just South yeah. Africa as well. We're not exclusive no, in no. this ghastly scenario. Uh, the poorest of the poor always pay more taxes relative to their income. They always yes. suffer when there's a downturn. They don't participate in the upturn either. It's exactly the same in South Africa. And it's a tragedy because the majority yes. of people in South Africa are the poorest of the poor. Correct. And... And you somehow think, you know, why why don't the powers that be, okay, whether that's government or whatever, mm. why is you mean our billionaire president? Focus? Why isn't this the focus? Because that's where the votes are. You know, um, so yeah. But look, I mean, maybe 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 I'm being too negative now. No, I not. still think the right thing will be done simply because. The right thing has got to be done. How long can you wait, but though, Wayne? That I mean, mean, it will be done, unfortunately. How long can you wait, though? How long has there been a no, democracy I mean, in South Africa? The... 25 years? 26 years? I can't even remember anymore. It's 25 years since democracy was officially ushered into South Africa. 25 years, and every mm. single time. I mean, I've only been a broadcaster maybe for 12, 13 years, but I can play you back 147 different interviews where I say, where someone mm. says, like you've just said today, now is the the time for decisive action. And this is like, yeah. this. It's like the Trump administration, before you, you comment on what I've just said. Trump has yeah. a 95% approval rating from the Republicans because Republicans. they all love him because they're shit scared of him. Excuse my language. They're so scared of him. And it's the same mm. as the ANC. The ANC can't do anything because of the unions and everyone that's scared of, of all the, uh, the vested interests within the ANC. So there's policy paralysis. You can't do things because no. you upset too many people. That's why the Republicans will not vote against Trump because they are terrified of losing their cushy little stupid jobs. Now, I, I hear you. And that unfortunately is politics. But to go back to what you said earlier on about you've heard a hundred interviews over the last 15 years about now is the time for action. And obviously, uh, you know, now maybe at that point was the time for action. But over, let's go back 20, 25 years of our democracy. The first five years were quite tough. Uh, not because something was wrong domestically, but we were in the tailspin of a major bear market in commodity prices. And South Africa is still a commodity-producing country. So the first five years were tough. The next eight years were the most wonderful years we've had in 50 years. The yes. economy grew so fast, we ran out of electricity. Our total our government debt to GDP at the peak of the China cycle was 23% of GDP. It was way lower than any other major economy in the world. I used to often say, you know, when the American president goes to sleep at night time, he wishes his debt was as low as our government's debt. Yeah. Now, over the subsequent 10 years, we all know the, the complications. Over the subsequent 10 years, it's gone from 23 to 60. So although at each stage along the way, people have said it's time for action, it's never been at 60 before. And if you see what happened, what, what the finance minister said in the medium-term budget, if we don't do anything in five years' time, it's 70. And the true definition of a country in economic freefall is when two things happen. First of all, when no one wants to buy your local currency bonds. Okay. 
No one wants to buy it. Now, that's not the case now. It's actually the bond market's been relatively well-behaved. I mean, you can, you can still, there's still plenty of people who buy South African bonds, even with the threat of junk and all of this stuff at 9.5%. Now, when that starts going to 14, 15, 16% and eventually goes to infinity because no one's going to buy them, that's the first sign. And coupled with that is the only time that you can get money is when you've got to issue it, your bonds in dollar denominations because no one's going to accept your local currency. That's also the second thing. is, mm-hmm. And then the third thing is truly when your currency goes into free fall. Now, I don't mean free fall going to 25 against the dollar. I'm talking going to 300 against the dollar. You know, so so we're not even close to those, um, you know, catastrophic set of circumstances. But unless we turn the ship, we could very well be heading in that direction. And unfortunately, not everything in life is a politician's fault, but politicians set the playing, set the playing fields and control the laws. So ultimately, it is up to politicians to do the right thing and get the country on the right path because they're in charge. You know, industry is not in charge. I've got to ask you yeah. a question now before you go on, because you're obviously on a, on a roll here, and I'm listening to you with a good deal of fascination. But let's say that, that on New Year's Day, after a, a, a long period of reflection, Tito Mbaweni, Sora Ramaphosa, Pravin Gordon, and some other luminaries within the ANC and government establishment say there's going to be an announcement on South African television, on the SABC, and it's going to be everywhere. It's, it's going to be a podcast, whatever it is. And they say, we are going to have to go to the IMF for a bailout for the state-owned enterprises that have been draining us and also to get back the money that has been looted by previous administrations. And it's going to cost us, um, I don't know, 100 billion US dollars or something like that. Where do you think the RAND would go? Well, look, the moment you say IMF, people worry because IMF only bails out basket cases. Well, exactly. You, 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 yeah. IMF only bells at a basket case. And I don't think your basket case yet. But if no, just just yeah. indulge me here. It's it's, yeah. it's it's the holiday season, so let me have these fantasies. If yes. the scenario that I just sketched out, uh, fantastic as it is, if it happened, where would the rand go? Twenty-five against the dollar. Immediately. Virtually overnight. Yeah. But understand, you know, and let's just examine that a little bit more. The IMF is not necessarily a bad thing for a basket case. Eh? I think it's a good thing. That's why yeah, I'm yeah, putting this forward. I think it'd be a fantastic thing for us to do that, personally. Because they force you to sort things out, otherwise you don't get the money. Thank you. Now, if you take Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe went to the IMF, and the IMF says, yes, our T's and C's, and they said, okay, we'll do it, we'll do it because we need the money, and then they reneged and got no more money, and eventually their currency disappeared off the face of the earth. Now, the second currency they've introduced now is also going to disappear off the face of the earth. <laughs> you know, so you've got to stick to the IMF, but you'll go through five years of anguish and pain that you have never experienced before from an economic viewpoint but you come out fundamentally stronger and more powerful and significantly better off. You take you take uh, Brazil, their currency also went to pot, the economy went to pot, they went to the IMF. The next thing they got the real that's linked to the dollar. Mm. You know, so, you know, sometimes inflicting pain 
is necessary to get to a better position, to get to become more healthier. You just hope our government has the, not the intelligence or the wherewithal to do it. They've got that. Whether they've got the courage to fight their own internal politics, to self to do the self medication and not wait for the IMF to come in and do the medication. Do you know what I've done in the past, Wayne, when I've been under pressure financially? I've gone to somebody, not to a bank, but to a, a private investor, a friend, and I've said, this is what you will get if you lend me this money now. And the reason I wanted to borrow money was because it would make me feel more comfortable. I wouldn't have to wake up on the first business day of every month and think, I've got to pay those bills now, my kids this mm. and um, my business that. I just need to borrow this money. It's going to put me under pressure, but it gives me the security of being able to sit down and not worry and go about my business and therefore be more productive. I think that that situation, personal as it is, could be applied to South Africa. And let's get rid of all the debt let the RAND go to 2025, whatever it is, and then get on with it. Because I can tell you that after the 25 print at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning after the announcement is made, it'll come back down to 16, 17, 80, and we can get on with it yeah. as long as people don't steal the money. Yeah. Look, look. let's summarise South Africa. Let's summarise the problems and what's necessary to sort it out. It's effectively three things. Government expenditure has got to start growing at lower than inflation rates. It's been growing at higher than inflation rates, and specifically the wage bill now. Yes, what I was going to say, wages. It's certainly not bridges and hospitals and schools, it's wages. No, it's the wage bills. Mm. So that's the first thing that's got to get sorted out, is that growth rate's got to come below the, excluding interest, come below the inflation rate. That's the first thing that's got to get sorted out. Secondly, the economy's got to start growing at, I'm not talking 5%, because that is so far out. You don't even, you can't even put that in your pot at the moment. But it should start growing at 2%. And 2% is not that much of a pipe dream. It sounds like it now when you're growing at 0.3. But 2% is not unrealistic if only a few things are done right. So that's the second thing that's got to get done. I don't think that's unrealistic. The third thing that's got to get done. We've got to find 200 billion rand from somewhere. Because that's what's necessary to put into ESKIM to make it financially viable without electricity tariffs going up another 50% in the next three years. So we've got to do those three things to avert us going to that hypothetical scenario of yours of going to visit the IMF. So there's three, they are incredibly hard to do. So, so so you've got, to go, you've got to go to the government union and say, guys, listen, this inflation plus 2% wage increase it is unsustainable. You're getting inflation or inflation minus one. Or you get inflation, but then we're cutting so many heads out of the system. So it's incredibly difficult because that's the true challenge. The second thing is where do you get $150 billion for Eskom? is you sell off something or you get a strategic partner in, not an overall majority partner, but a strategic partner in, and that's where you get the 150 billion from. And then the other one is you get the economy to grow simply by giving more, more security as to what's going to happen to your electricity supply, what's going to happen to ESCOM, what's going to happen with the land reform programs. You know, so at least if there's, if there's certainty about certain things, 
people can invest because, I mean, corporate balances. Now, I don't want to play in business. Business, people think businesses are holding back on their money. Of course, they're holding back on their money. But they're holding back on their money because you and I aren't spending. Who's going to build a new shopping center or build a new factory if there's no consumer demand? So business expenditure always follows consumer expenditure. They don't build a factory that's going to stand vacant because there's no demand for it. The corporate cash balances are the highest ever recorded. They, I mean, I forget the number, and the number I'm quoting is, is probably wrong, but it's in this it's in this magnitude of 800 billion rand. So what you're saying, the companies have money that they're not deploying at the moment yeah. because they're not confident enough to do so. Is that what you're saying? Well, they, they, they just don't see demand. There's no demand. So they say, I'm not going to spend money. I'm going to build a new factory, and no one's going to buy what I'm producing. That's crazy. You know, so the way the economy works is consumers lead any recovery, and then companies see the increase in the in the demand, and they say, "Oh, I better build that new warehouse, I better build that new showroom, I better build that new shopping centre because demand's demand's climbing." So there is the ability for us right now at the moment to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but there's only one grouping that can start that process, and that is government. Yes, but government is, is so splintered. It's a splintered organisation. This is my final word, Wayne. I, I, I'm sorry, but we, we, can, we can do this with David Shapiro and a couple of other your friends, whatever, uh, before the year end, uh, a chat about this. But my creative nature says the following. You go to the IMF or to the World Bank, or to some giant financial institution worldwide, Goldman Sachs, or whatever it is, whoever it is, and you say, we are blessed with so many natural resources. We've got solar, we've got wind, we've got waves, we've got platinum group metals, we've got gold, we've got everything. Lend us this money, and we will pay it back if you help us invest in these things. And you can take a 20% yeah. stake in these things. Why don't we do it like that? Why do we just have to, why do we have to say, because give us a, give us 100 idea. billion just just give them a stake yeah. because a we private, have this public public private partnership, partnership. yeah the, the reason why we don't do that is quite simple because our government's ideology is not that way oh, now i don't know whether the government's ideology is right or wrong or whether it will work or not work i just don't know but the ideologic the the ideology of the anc is clearly a development state where the government plays a major role in that development state. So you can even see a very clear instance of this is the report from the cell phones that came out yesterday or the day before. Now, I don't know why the competition commissioner is doing this. That, that I still haven't worked out in my head because it had nothing to do with, uh, you know, um, abuse of monopoly powers or anti-competitive behavior, but it is still an organ of the state. And by the way, I think the reason why they're using the competition commissioner to do this is because the competition commissioner works and gets results and actually gets output. So but forget where it came from. It came from the government, okay? They, they, and it's quite clear that this is the development state ideology. You must give free data because data, in today's world, you can't live without data. You can't function without data. So you must give free data to a certain extent to everyone. And that's the same with electricity and the same with water. There's a minimum amount of free. Mm -hmm. Then you must cut out, you must cut data costs by X, Y, Z percentage over so much time period. Now, by the way, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's right or wrong. 
But I'm just saying that's the ideology of a development state. So for governments to sell off major parts of the organs that they use, and I'm not being cynical saying they want to keep those organs to just, you know, for bribery and corruption and jobs for mates. You know, the government wants to control these organs because they see these organs as giving them the ability, they enable us to, to take the development state forward. Now, I mean, in other words, why should we own a national airline? No reason. Why? There's no, no reason. reason. Why, should we own a, why should we own an arms manufacturer? No reason. Why should we own a post office? No reason whatsoever. Farm enough. Why should we own an SABC? Get rid of it. It's Why should we own an Eskom? Because it's in the development state ideology. Oh, please. So, so ultimately, ultimately, the outcome of where the South African economy ends up, let's just make it very simplistically good or bad, will depend on the battle between, well, maybe battles are wrong words, it'll depend on how the government itself views its own philosophy in the development state context. Because at the moment, the development state context is clearly not working. It's really not, hasn't been working for many, many decades for various reasons, and certainly not during the uh, democratic, uh, the nascent democratic era, which is only 25 years now. It's been up and down, but now it's getting worse and worse, and we have to do something. Wayne, unfortunately, we didn't talk about the markets at all, but we'll do that next markets week. Markets are quite strong. Yep. Yeah, markets are good because Mr. Trump, oh, having, having said yesterday, I, I don't want a trade deal with China until after the election, the 2020 election. Then he comes back and yes. says, oh, well, maybe we'll do something now. It's typical of oh, him. He's President a manipulator. Trump. He's a gaslighter. That's President, that's President Trump. And look at the RAND. What, what's the RAND now? 1455 or something? Yeah, so a 1457, somewhere around there. Yeah, it's a, it's a really strong currency. There's something going on. 1458 at the moment. <laughs> It's the strongest emerging market currency worldwide in the last month. Very good. With indeed. our budget, with our negative GDP, with the Reserve Bank not cutting interest rates. Shall we do um, a threesome next week with uh, your mate Shapiro, yourself, yeah, uh, somebody else? So let's just sort of wrap up the year if we can, because I know you, you rich fun. people uh, go off for holidays around rich about uh, a week's yeah. time. Yeah, okay. All right. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.